Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Karen Birkin of Willis-Knighton Women's Health Associates. We're going to be talking about menopause and also adolescent health. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show and as a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned all the way down to a low volume when you call in so we can hear your questions and you can hear Dr. Birkin's answers. So the number to call is 318-219-4569 and you'll see it across the bottom of your screen throughout the show. Dr. Birkin, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. It's always a pleasure to talk to you about all of women's health and everything. And today it's really nice we're talking about adolescent health as well as menopause. Mm -hmm. So let's start with menopause. We were asking you during the break about puberty and young women's health. We'd like to talk about when they get started. Mm -hmm. But for someone who's not really familiar, we hear the term, how would you, if someone came to you and said, what is it? How would you define menopause and why women go through it? So uh, it's basically by the textbook, it is when somebody completes a year of having no menstrual period related to a, a lack of estrogen or a loss of their, their estrogen hormone. Uh, so when someone is going through those changes and they're feeling the symptoms of it, maybe their cycles even stopped. Uh, as long as they're uh, within that year, they still have not considered to be completed menopause. They have to have a year of no cycle in order to, have considered, uh, to be considered to be a completed menopause. Uh, but during that time frame and even before menstrual cycles stop, you can start to feel changes, hot flashes and night sweats and mood swings and all sorts of, of different uh, things that uh, people don't normally enjoy. Uh, <laughs> and so it's a big talking point when they come to see me in clinic. Yeah, I bet it's a big talking point, probably just around the lunch table or in carpool or anything with mm -hmm. women talking about what they're going through. So what's the difference if someone doesn't know? What is a hot flash? Can you describe it, what it would probably feels like rather than I'm just feeling hot today? Is it really something specific that you can tell that's what it is? It's it's pretty significant when, when they happen. Uh, normally they're not very long, uh, just you know, maybe 10, 20, 30 seconds, uh, but you just have this full body you know, release of heat essentially. Uh, and it, it has to do with uh, your losing your uh, thermoregulation a little bit. And so uh, any, uh, anything that takes your body temperature just slightly out of its normal range, it can't compensate quite as well. Uh, and so you'll have this full release of heat uh, and then afterwards, because now you've lost all of your heat, then typically you start to sweat and get cold. And so that's where that hot flash and that, that cold sweat kind of comes from. Uh, but people often report, you know, waking up in the middle of the night because that's when they have them commonly just drenched in sweat, you know, and it, and it wakes them up and they can't go back to sleep. So it can lead to uh, difficulty sleeping as well. So a hot flash and a night sweat, is, are those two different things or just you're having that extreme hot flash at night? And why is it at night? Sometimes it will hit at night. Is there People any get them, they get them throughout the day. Mm -hmm. uh, I, more commonly at night, um, you know, whether that just has to do with, uh, you know, them being under the covers and, you know, getting a little bit warmer and then all of a sudden they kind of lose that, you know, thermoregulation and so they, they get hot all of a sudden and then follow with that, with that sweat. Uh, but people do have them throughout the day as well. And does anything affect them like lifestyle or time of day or anything or is it just random when you get them you just get them? Most of the time it's pretty random mm -hmm. uh, which that also affects people because there's no warning there's nothing that you can really do to prevent them from coming on uh, and so you could be in any situation and then all of a sudden it just hits you. Mm -hmm. And will that last cycle, will that start like at the, when does that start? Like is that during the year that the periods are stopping and then you'll have these hot flashes 
I'm assuming once it's all done, then you don't have them anymore, or does it just go for a short period of time? Does it last? So some people have them for uh, several months, several years. Some people don't have them at all. Those are the lucky few. Uh, but when they, when they do start, it's a sign that your hormone levels, your estrogen levels are starting to decline. Now, that can happen much earlier than 51, which is the average age of menopause. So some people start experiencing hot flashes in their you know, late 30s, early 40s even, just because we know that your hormones and your estrogen levels are not what they are in your 40s, what they are in your 20s. And so that as those levels do steadily decline, you can start to feel some of those symptoms. Now, once your levels go below a certain threshold, then that's where your periods will stop. Uh, but before, during, and after, you know, people typically do feel those hot flashes uh, as in, in relation to their period stopping, but it doesn't coincide exactly. Right. And obviously this means with period stopping and everything that you're past childbearing age. Right. right. That's really what that is too. You're going yes. through the change as yes. my mother used to yes. call it. Yeah, and she'd be thrilled to know that you're saying even as early. I think she started in her late 20s blaming <laughs> mood swings on, I'm going through the change. And we were like, we hope you do change because it was just like mood swings yeah. crazy. So that's part of it too, right? You can't have severe mood swings. I do. I get a lot of requests from, from women that are just, they're noticing that something is not quite right and they don't know, is it their diet? Is it their exercise? Is it something in their lifestyle? Is it their hormones? Um, their thyroid sometimes can, can cause some similar symptoms. And so they'll come in just wanting their hormone levels checked, for example, just to make sure that everything is still in the normal range where it should be for their age. And we talked about it maybe going, it has to be like a solid year with no cycles whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Have you had someone go through a whole year and then all of a sudden they have one? So it, it appears they thought they were done, but it turns like they're not? That does happen. Uh, people sometimes will go even longer than that and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden a cycle will come and then that becomes a little bit different issue that oftentimes we have to work up and make sure that it is not an abnormal return of their cycle for some other reason, you know, uterine cancer or something like that. Right. That's a really good point, too, for someone not to ignore that and mm -hmm. just think, oh, well, I thought I was going through it, now I'm not, and just having periods again, when it could be something that they need to go see their doctor about. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we talked about that it's similar in only ways when heading into puberty and also menopause, that the one thing it is is like you just don't feel like yourself either mm -hmm. way. So you want to talk about puberty now and talk about adolescent health and what young girls go through? Yeah, so uh, young girls, you know, we, we alluded to a little bit earlier, you know, they're kind of going through their, their teenage years or entering their teenage years and, and that's a, a stressful, tough time for anyone to go through. And then all of a sudden here comes, you know, your period and, and it, it can affect uh, people that are in sports or different extracurricular activities. It can increase anxiety levels at school. You know, you don't know when your cycle is going to come. A lot of uh, females deal with uh, irregularities and sometimes with those irregularities come very heavy bleeding and so sometimes they can get surprised in the middle of an activity and it can just cause a lot of anxiety for people so you know I kind of uh, try to gauge by asking certain questions you know how often how uh, frequent and how heavy their cycles are how painful they are if they've ever been on anything in the past to help with them and then uh, just kind of offer certain solutions and and have a, a good conversation with them about what is normal and if something doesn't sound right kind of you know taking it from there and figuring out why so much to just try to ease their mind and in entering into this and we used the term normal a little mm -hmm. while ago too about what's normal and what isn't and what we call normal 
And is that what you go over to, just like this happens, this is just the way it is? And yeah, and, and there's lots of information out there. People look at the internet and they talk to their friends and, and different family members and some of that information is accurate and some of the information will really concern people. And uh, so just going over what to expect and, and getting used to and accustomed to you know, their body now going into you know, their adolescent years, uh, making sure you clear up any misnomers and, and just talk about overall safety uh, for that age category as well. And what would you tell? That's a really good thing to talk about now because it, people get on the internet sometimes first and get that information. So what would you tell someone watching today who has a young girl in their family and they're looking on the internet to, to find out what they do and then bring it to you to talk about or what should they do if they're finding things on the internet? They oftentimes, uh, they will come in with questions, but sometimes you have to kind of prompt, you know, to, to get those questions or concerns out. And so a lot of it at those very first visits, a lot of it's just me kind of talking, um, getting to know them, making them feel comfortable. I typically lead with uh, letting them know that they do not need an exam that very first visit. Um, most, most girls, unless there's a, a different problem or a bigger problem, most girls come in somewhere between the age of around 13 to 15. Uh, and it's just a counseling visit. Uh, and so I, I ask them, what are their friends doing? What have their friends heard about or talked to them about? Do they have a person that they can go to at home uh, that's gone over these things with them, the birds and the bees kind of uh, information, or do they really not know much at all? And then I can kind of gauge where they stand and how much they know and then, and then just give them some information. How comforting that you're this resource to say that and ask those questions that it's okay if you're talking with your friends it's okay what are you hearing and um, it's like you're really giving them permission to I bet they just feel such relief going oh my gosh she knows what my life is like she knows I'm talking to people I'm asking questions and it sounds like you create a really nice safe atmosphere there for them to talk yeah and you know I mean I think it helps uh, you know I've been through it too you yeah. know so I even though it was a little while ago <laughs> I remember kind of what it was like and uh, and I find that once I do a good bit of talking and, and kind of peel peel back, you know, some of the layers, then then here come the questions. You know, they'll start asking me things that they've seen online or that they've heard from people and they honestly don't know the answer and there's never a, a dumb question. You know, I, I entertain any question that they might have and, and try to take it very seriously because if, if it's a, a real thing to them, I don't want to, you know, cause any discomfort or make them feel ashamed for asking a question. I would rather them ask it and me clear the air there. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I'm sure anyone, if a mother or a parent or someone is watching today too, to hear you say that, that's gotta be comforting as well, mm -hmm. that, that their daughter is in good hands or, or you know, they're the young person in their life that they're bringing to you. Because I guess it can feel kind of generational too. Because mm -hmm. I think we can remember back when we were that age, we think we're the only one going through it. <laughs> we're the only one that had these questions, even if our friends are saying the same thing. Yeah. So you probably feel that a lot too, you can mm -hmm. hear them. And is there a broad range of questions that they ask to you? Have you ever been surprised by a question that? No, but, you know, I've been doing this long enough <laughs> to not really get surprised anymore. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there are some off the wall, you know, questions and things that you wouldn't quite expect, but um, they're all things that, that that particular patient is is looking for an answer for. And so I do my best to answer it, you know, as appropriately as possible and kind of steer them in the right direction. That's great. 
And so what age do you, if, if they're also wondering about what age, do you wait until um, your daughter has had the first cycle or do you, is it a good idea to try to, because we were talking about it, it can be as, er, it can be as young as eight or nine years old. Mm -hmm. So at what, at what point if, if a parent wants to really get ahead of it and set this up and ease into it and have, have you as a resource, Howard Soros, do you advise any age for the first doctor visit? So kind of, you know, I alluded to at the most common time when people first come in to see me is around 13 to 15 years old, mm -hmm. uh, typically when that cycle has already started. Occasionally I'll see someone even before their period has started because they have some sort of questions or they're, most of the time it's their mom or caretakers kind of just wanting to get them in, you know, just to, to get established and to meet their, their physician and just build that rapport there and kind of establish that relationship. But most people that come see me are, have already started and now they have questions um, okay. because they feel like something's not quite right yeah. uh, and they want to change it. And the pediatrician will also help, you know, kind of kind of gear them, you know, toward that and can field some questions and starts uh, some vaccinations and whatnot kind of at a young age, even before they typically get to us. And that's a good point, too. If they're still seeing their pediatrician, mm -hmm. which they are much into teenage right. years, they can ask them, too, the kind of mm -hmm. advice when to come. Well, we have a caller for you. Okay. Hi, Ruth. What is your question for the doctor? Um, I'm not young. I'm 85 now. But I... I uh, still have hot flashes, and I've had them the last 20 years. They just started back up again. So do you have any answer for that? So uh, I don't drink or smoke, you know. So, so that was going to be my next question. <laughs> uh, and okay. so it sounds like you probably had hot flashes, you know, several years ago, and then they, they stopped, and then here, you know, they've yeah. kind of come back, and you feel like you're, you're past that, and you shouldn't have to be uh, kind of going through that anymore <laughs> at, at 85. Uh, well, right. certainly they do kind of wax and wane, and, and this could be a traditional hot flash. There can also be other conditions cardiovascular conditions, there can be medications um, that people are on that cause uh, oh. different different symptoms as well and side effects. Uh, so that would be one thing also to kind of, you know, talk to your primary care doctor and see was there, were there any medication changes that could be causing this or, or any other things that happen in your life. Uh, certainly smoking and alcohol use, you know, can increase uh, yeah. and cause hot flashes but as well. But I don't. And then... PCP um, just quit. Oh no! So I've got to find another doctor. And then we do also oh, know. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. We do, do also, also know go? that most people go through menopause around age 51, but studies show well, that. I just learned that. The <laughs> uh, that those uh, hormone levels do still slowly decline uh, even further to age 65, 70, even sometimes beyond. And so there can be small uh -huh. traces of hormones still many years oh. beyond you know, age 51. And so uh, some people are more sensitive to hormone changes than others. And so you know, maybe you had a higher hormone amount you know, back in the day and you know, now, now it's just finally you know, completely leaving your system. That could be a possibility as well. Okay, okay. <laughs> and and you were Doctor Who? Let's see, what was your name? I'm Dr. Birkin, uh, and I'm at Women Birkin. Health Asso Health Associates in Bossier. 
Uh, and I'd be happy to talk to you about it, you know, if you had any questions and, and I could go through potential remedies, you know, in clinic to help with the symptoms if they were bothering you. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you so much for calling. And it's, again, with those questions where you just know you're outside of the normal or whatever mm -hmm. we think is normal or whatever it could be. And I didn't think about that either. I didn't know that. You could still have, you could have had a really strong amount of hormones in your mm -hmm. body and it could still dwindle after. It can. And, and it's, you know, the the studies and the, the labs have shown that, that there are still varying amounts, trace amounts of hormone beyond age 65. Uh, and so p some people are just very sensitive to those changes and, and some people it's very gradual and more others it's kind of more of a stepwise fashion and so they'll kind of plateau for a while, get comfortable where they are and then there they drop again and so then they start to feel those symptoms come back. Yeah, and it's nice that I think when you get to a certain age and you feel like you're maybe not listened to or you don't get the mm -hmm. care that you were and you know that there's really something off. You know your own body, you know how it is and, and so you feel like, you, is it advisable just keep trying to find a doctor that's going to listen or mm -hmm. what's going on and just keep asking those questions. As you said, you're so great about there's no silly question, there's no certainly no wrong question when it's right. your body, if you're curious and, and you're telling a doctor there's something wrong. Yeah, I, I wouldn't certainly expect to, to be required to know everything that a lawyer knows or an yeah. architect or anything, so I, d I don't expect anyone to know the ins and outs of menopause unless you know, they've trained in it. So. Mm -hmm. And it's gotta still be fascinating to you too. Do you still, like when you're talking to these people, do you find new things? Everyone's individual and you see mm -hmm. how it affects. Generally, I'm sure it's the same, but do you find it's, it's interesting to see how it's affecting every different person you talk to? Oh, definitely, and you, you just learn different tricks. Some, some patients, yeah. you know, offer you information <laughs> about what helped them or, or what got them through it, and, uh, you know, just the longer you do it, the more, the more information and the more people you meet and, and can kind of change the way you counsel, you know, different patients depending on, you know, your experiences in the past and, and who, you've, who you've, you know, helped or met in, in clinic in the, in the past. Oh, so. sure, it's just, yeah. And same way we talked about a young girl would love to have that kind of conversation too. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that someone going through menopause or even think they're past it in, in even later years come in and ask those same questions and find that relief. It's just something you don't know until you've gone through it, how it's affecting you. Right. So you don't mm -hmm. know even what's normal for yourself. So do you find that you have those same conversations with someone going through menopause that you do with someone going into puberty? Sometimes, yeah, mm -hmm. because it, it's both of those time periods are, are points in people's lives where uh, they just feel not themselves at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're just looking for answers as to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more to you and your practice and the people that you see other than starting people on you know certain cycles or explaining through menopause. Is there any other, what are some of the issues actually that a, a young girl might be going through, other medical issues that, that you see happen too? Well, oftentimes because puberty is you know the the initiation the initiation of periods and and when that either happens too soon or does not happen at the appropriate time uh, it can kind of key you into maybe a an anatomical abnormality you know or anomaly that somebody might have and and then um, that by them not having a cycle at the normal time, that kind of starts the workup and you can diagnose different uterine abnormalities or um, congenital defects or things as to why, you know, a period didn't start when it was supposed to. Uh, and then also there's the contraceptive, you know, 
conversations that we have, a lot of people do want to get on some type of birth control and they ask, you know, is it safe to have a period? Is it not safe? You know, how long can I be on this? Is it going to affect my fertility down the road? You know, those are all common, common questions as well. Are there some things to be concerned about affecting fertility down the road when you start any kind of treatment or preventative medicine or anything early? So uh, typically with birth control, um, almost all of the types of birth control are completely fine, you know, and, and do not cause any, you know, delayed fertility down the road. There are some permanent forms of birth control out there, tubal ligations and things like that, that can certainly affect somebody's fertility. Um, and then there are some, you know, STDs and, and sexually transmitted infections that if a young person gets, they can scar their fallopian tubes to the point to where it can be hard for them to get pregnant down the road. Oh. Um, so that's a conversation typically that I'll have is, you know, just how to stay safe um, and how to protect themselves and, and avoid complications down the road. Um, you know, and, and just kind of really, you know, going over the types of birth control that are out there and some that are good for cycles and help control people's periods. Some make your period go away, um, which that's okay, and it's actually safe to do that. Um, but depending on their comfort level with that and then also the strength of the birth control that you're giving them, uh, it may delay the return of their period for several months even after they decide to get off of it. So there can be a conversation there with patients about how close they are to thinking that they want to try to have children because if they're right around the corner from that, I typically won't start a birth control that might delay their return for, to fertility. I'll start something that they can just quickly get off of and then you know start trying right afterward. Okay, so it isn't unsafe for your body not to have a period. Or, right. or for how long of a period, how long of a time is that? Is that okay or? So it is completely yeah. fine to mm -hmm. not have a period. A lot of people, you know, believe it or not, like having their kind of regular yeah. cycle, um, but it is okay not to have that. Uh, and the main reason behind that is because the uterus and the ovaries are pretty separate as far as what they do. The, the uterus is really just a vessel to carry babies and, <laughs> and that's what it's trying to do every single month is just hit the reset button to get ready to carry a pregnancy the next month. Uh, and it just listens to what the ovaries are telling it to do. Um, the ovaries are, are the puppet masters. They kind of control all the hormones, and uh, so as long as you're having either the medication or your normal ovarian function, you can go without a cycle, and there's actually no detriment to that whatsoever. Okay. That's really interesting and good to know. And while we're talking about the anatomy there, the fallopian tubes, let's talk about the, the purpose, what the tubes actually do. The tubes are just the connection between the right. two. So um, they just uh, are basically free floating and they uh, have these very wispy ends to them and they just brush right on top of the, the ovaries on either side and as soon as uh, someone ovulates and releases an egg, that tube is intended to just collect that egg and just provide essentially the, the way of travel. Um, for the egg to make its way to the uterus. They're free floating? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. They're not yeah. connected, actually connected? They're, to they're only connected to the uterus. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's amazing, I had no idea. So, so they're, they're, they have some kind of filmy connections underneath, um, but their main, their main connection uh, just comes from the uterus. Just another kind of miracle so. how that really happens in the baby. Yeah. Goes down the tube and, and <laughs> makes a baby. It's really, in, it's really interesting, I never knew yeah. that. So, and the, so we talk about what the, the the uterus is just there to 
how's the baby, mm -hmm. right? And then it's a reset every month, which yeah. is another reason why it's, I'm sure, a relief to people sometimes. It's always like, there are the, some people that are like, everything good. Everything's happening the way it's supposed to, mm -hmm. no matter how it feels or what's going on. Yeah. So, yeah. So what would you tell a mother um, uh, or a guardian, anyone who has a young child who's coming into this and growing into puberty, what, how do you prepare them without scaring them about, because we've talked about this mm -hmm. can happen at school, it can happen during activity, um, how do you prepare them without letting them know it's nothing to worry about? Uh, so I've, I just feel like information, it, I mean it's truly power in that situation, if they know, if the, the guardian knows what to expect, if the, the child knows what to expect, then they're more comfortable with it. If you have that conversation with both of them in the room, then the adolescent is more likely to come to their guardian with any questions because they were there, you know, at the visit. Uh, and and there's going to be times where they they need help or, or or guidance, you know, one way or the other. And so if you can kind of build that relationship together, um, then they'll kind of be able to work work through it. But I. I kind of stress to the guardians, you know, give them their space, give them their time, but you know, offer, offer suggestions, offer help. You know, know that you're always there. Don't, you know, badger them or you know, talk about it all the time because they may be embarrassed. Um, but if you just try to revisit it periodically, you know, their opinions might change. They might get more comfortable with it, and then they might offer up, you know, a question or from or some information. So, um, to just try to to be there when needed, um, but not you know overbearing um, with with information and kind of pushy with information. Yeah, and you find that probably works pretty well. I think it does with a lot of like mm -hmm. here's a little bit of it, and if you need any more, I'm available. Just mm -hmm. make yourself available for yeah. any questions. And also, is it good to keep in mind that if your experience wasn't so great or it was scary, to kind of try to find a more positive. You want to be honest because mm -hmm. if it was and they're scared too, you want to have that commonality, but to try to put it as in a more positive light, as positive as you can. Right, yeah. and, and, and really kind of finding out why their experience wasn't pleasant and how you can do that differently because yeah. they may come in and say, you know, my mom talks about how she had her first pap smear and it was terrible and I'm so, so scared to, you know, finally have an exam. And I just show them everything, I walk through it, I say, you know, I want you to be comfortable, you know, I want you to tell me, you know, every step of the way, you know, there's going to be no surprises, I'm going to, you know, walk you through it, and then if anything's not right, you for sure tell me, I'll stop right away, and, and you just try to build that confidence and, yeah. and increase their comfort level with it, because it shouldn't be that, you know, painful of an exam it's it's you know feels like a little bit of pressure and that should be about it mm -hmm. and so if someone hurts or is really anxious about it or scared then there's probably something that that needs to be addressed that didn't happen quite right you know the last time right so it's kind of like all news is good news yeah. just to be honest let you know and and to make them feel like they're in control like mm -hmm. you, we stop any time yeah. even if you're just uncomfortable there's mm -hmm. no sense in having something that is done to you that you have to, you know, mm -hmm. that's okay, just yeah. communicate, which is probably a really nice, another mm -hmm. comforting feeling. What are the advancements in preventative medicine and screenings that you've seen so far? And you want to talk about vaccines too? Yeah, so there's there's actually, you know, there's vaccines kind of that are recommended throughout people's lives, but the, the main one that I focus on is uh, when someone is at least nine or above, so I know that sounds very young, but nine or above, that's when you can get the Gardasil vaccine or the HPV vaccine. Um, that stands for human papillomavirus, uh, which is a very, very common virus that's out there. Uh, it's typically transmitted sexually, but it, it can actually cause cervical cancer, and it's the biggest cause of cervical cancer. And there is a vaccine out there that prevents 
uh, and protects people from the nine worst strains of that virus. And the goal is to get it on board before someone's ever even sexually active so that when they have that first exposure, they're already protected. Um, and so that's the main vaccine that in the young population, I make sure that they've had. Um, it's recommended, it used to be nine through 26, age 26, now they've bumped it up all the way up to age 45 because we were noticing a trend that people would um, be married and have an established relationship and then they would maybe get divorced or you know separate from their partner and then they would get back out there in the dating scene and then that that risk of re-exposure is there again so they've actually increased the age that it's recommended all the way up to 45. Okay and what type of screenings? Screenings is mainly uh, just routine STD testing. Um, there's some sexually transmitted infections out there that have a lot of symptoms and there's some that don't. Uh, and so for anyone that's sexually active, it's recommended in the young population to screen them at least once a year. Um, and then moving past, you know, adolescence and someone's 20s, it's kind of just dependent on their lifestyle, uh, whether they need routine screening or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good point too. And I think we talked about this before when you were here. It's a really good definition and a reminder. We talk about someone with multiple partners and you might think, oh, I've only been married once and then you remarried, that's what that means, a multiple mm -hmm. partner. It doesn't mean that you have a lot of different partners right. at one time. Yeah. It just means if you have been, could have been with someone, only one, and you mm -hmm. divorce, then you marry again, that's a new partner in mm -hmm. your life. So yeah. there's a definition, different definition to, to mm -hmm. what that means. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. And so to pay attention. So, and, and then, you know, as they kind of get towards menopause and that's as far as vaccines and there's shingles vaccine and there's colon cancer screening and mammograms and bone scans and all sorts of things, you know, that come into play at different age groups. Yeah. So. Let's talk about that shingles vaccine. And now is that related to having chicken pox or not? Or is there any relation to that or? It is. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes it can be the uh, virus that you had as a child that then kind of reactivates mm -hmm. uh, and you get it typically in just one strip of the body, but it can be extremely painful. Uh, and any weakening of the immune system can cause that virus to reflare. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be a new infection as well, but typically anybody above the age of 50, it's recommended that they get the vaccine. Okay. Well, Dr. Birkin, thank you so much for today. It's been a pleasure talking to you again. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Healthline 3.